This is Anne-Marie Lewis, and you are listening to We Are Rivers, conversations about the rivers that connect us. This episode is a continuation of our last. As a reminder of the main points covered in our last episode, if the hydrology from the last 20 years continues, the upper basin could, over time, potentially fail to deliver the amount of water required to the lower basin. In this case, there would be a compact call, meaning that certain water users in the upper basin, including cities like Denver, would have to cease their water use. But the upper basin has been working out a variety of voluntary water conservation programs, like the Systems Conservation Pilot Program, covered in Episode 11, that will help deter a compact call. But no matter how much water the upper basin conserves, it doesn't necessarily go to buffering the upper basin or the Colorado River. Instead, it can be utilized by downstream users past their usual designation. This sounds complicated, so let's break it down for you. As of current, when conserved upper basin water flows into Lake Powell, it becomes system water. And when there is extra system water in Lake Powell, lower basin states can petition to get more water than their designated share that year. This presents some problems because the lower basin can, theoretically, get excess water in years of higher power levels when due to upper basin conservation, while the lower basin could suffer water cuts in bad years despite their conservation. So, to prevent this possibility, upper basin states want to be able to store the water they conserve in Lake Powell not as system water that can be depleted yearly due to lower basin overconsumption, and instead as water that can be delivered to the lower basin in critical potential compact calling years buffering the basin and its dedication to conservation. Without this upper basin water being kept and accounted for in Lake Powell, there isn't any incentive for upper basin ranchers and farmers or cities and industries to conserve. In other words, we have to have this this dedicated pool in Powell for us to drop the water into. If we're going to reduce our consumptive use in agriculture or urban use or industrial use, we want to make sure that that water remains benefiting the upper basin and assist us with our compact obligations. Uh, right now, if we just conserve water, as, as, as you're aware, under the system uh, conservation pilot program, for instance, that water becomes system water and it, and it doesn't stay in Powell, especially if, for instance, the Central Arizona Project figures out a way to find what they would call a sweet spot and times their order such that it forces larger releases out of Lake Powell um, than would otherwise occur because the, the extra water that's being released out of Lake Powell is this year and the year before were actually was actually some of that was some water that we had developed through the system conservation pilot uh, program. And, and so that, that, that was a little disturbing for the upper basin to see uh, a, a single user in the lower basin uh, be able to take that extra water out of the system for their benefit. And uh, that's, that's really where we're trying to avoid that and why we need this uh, dedicated uh, upper basin pool. That kind of account is really essential for protecting the upper basin and our ability to have a viable program. One of the concerns that we have at the upper basin is that um, we create water in Lake Powell by reducing our demands and, and conserving, and then that water just goes down to the lower basin and it's used in California or Arizona or Nevada. We need that water accounted for and uh, sitting in Lake Powell so that it can be released um, as needed for the 
the benefit of the upper basin. And so as part of this, this program, uh, Denver Water has really pushed for the creation of this account as, as part of these negotiations. And I'm very hopeful um, that that can be part of the federal legislation that we, we hope to pass and, and would be authorized in that federal legislation. To break it down for you further, as of current, when conserved upper basin water flows into Lake Powell, it becomes system water. And when there is extra system water in Lake Powell, lower basin states can petition to get more water than their designated share that year. This presents some problems. Upper basin states want to be able to store the water they conserve in Lake Powell, not as system water that can be depleted yearly due to lower basin overconsumption. If conserved upper basin water could be stored in Lake Powell, it could be released in critical years, buffering the basin from a compact call. Members of the basin could actively conserve water to buffer them from a future compact call. Without this upper basin water being kept and accounted for in Lake Powell, the lower basin can get excess water in good years, while the upper basin could suffer water cuts in bad years. And it's not that there would be a separate part of Powell that would be designated to upper basin water. The amount of conserved water would be booked and recorded in Lake Powell and would have to stay in the lake until dry years when the upper basin needs to release it to the lower. Additionally, this strategy would help keep Lake Powell stay at a higher water level, which increases the lower basin's water right security, especially Arizona's. Believe it or not, reservoir managers, the Bureau of Reclamation, they do an amazing job of, of accounting for water as it comes in and out of reservoirs in our system. And so um, what we're asking for is, is be, being able to book conserved water. So we'd have to show that that someone who would normally consume water in a given year has taken an action to not consume it. And that could be, it could be a farmer who um, voluntarily uh, and in a compensated manner, uh, you know, stops irrigating por- a portion of, of his or her field for, for that year. And, and that we'd have to calculate what amount of water is conserved and not consumed by that field and then sent down river into Powell and that would be booked in the Powell. And you could take a city, uh, a Trans Mountain Diversion City, who normally diverts, uh, say, 150,000 acre feet of water out of the Colorado River, and in a wet year they artificially introduce their their own drought restrictions, where they they are able to demonstrate that they save say 50,000 acre feet of water in a year because they've intentionally. Um, and artificially induced uh, their own drought restrictions or imposed them on their on their end users, and that water that that is uh, conserved in that manner and not used would be sent down into Powell and booked as intentionally conserved water. And and so that's the kind of water we're talking about. Let me be clear: it is only conserved water that we are talking about. Excess water in Lake Powell from rain and snow melt would not be kept in Lake Powell as upper basin water. We are only talking about the upper basin's intentionally conserved water. This extra security would be stored to help curtail a compact call. Because, in practice, there is little incentive for the upper basin to conserve if the conserved water isn't accounted for in Lake Powell as upper basin water that could buffer the deliveries to the lower basin in critical years. We really do believe in the upper basin that we need that designated invisible pool. It is our hope on the western slope that what we're doing is 
is creating a situation where we're creating you know incentives for ranchers, farmers, for cities, for anybody who has a, a straw in the Colorado River on, on the front range as well as those on the west slope. They have an incentive to actually create this pool of water to protect themselves. But we would also expect that uh, our our community, our society, will help pay for that. They'll they'll compensate the ranchers and and the other water users for not producing uh, their agricultural products or their other uses of water during that period of time. So we it, it, it it's a fairly complex system, but but we're working on developing guidelines and, and, if you will, sideboards that would allow our ranchers and farmers to feel like they were, A, being treated fairly economically, and, and B, when they're, when they're providing that water into the system, that it's not solely for the benefit of the lower basin. In, in the end, that conserved water, if you picture it again sitting as an extra layer in Lake Powell, in the end, it provides security for all of the 30 million people who depend upon the Colorado River. It's not it really doesn't just benefit the upper basin. It benefits everybody because it's water that's there that can be, will eventually be used down in the lower basin. But it's it's a matter of timing it and controlling it to to make sure that the system continues to operate. Andy and his team at the Colorado River District are currently working to come up with creative ways to fund upper basin water conservation efforts. The district spends a significant amount of time trying to come up with creative ways to fund conservation. We are looking at uh, funding mechanisms that may range from a, um, honestly, a statewide uh, uh, fee or, or tax uh, that would that would be imposed on water users, on even potentially uh, um, it could be a bottle tax. It could be a number of things. There's a number of groups studying this right now. Um, there are also discussions within the basin about would it be appropriate for anyone who has a utility bill that uses water from uh, the Colorado River, uh, no matter where they're located, uh, that they they pay some monthly fee. It could be a dollar or two per user per year, and it might produce enough uh, money to help uh, pay for this demand management pool. And we need this pool. Andy says that if the current hydrology continues, it is possible to have a compact call on the upper basin within 10 years. Well, the likelihood of a compact call, uh, at one point we thought it was decades away, if not ever, when they when they first uh, negotiated the, the Colorado River Compact in 1922, uh, they thought there was a lot more water in the river than has turned out to be the case. And they really thought there would never be a compact call. In fact, they thought there was going to be a surplus of water. Um, we know today that there's not a surplus. In fact, um, the, the the amount of water that's been in the river is is less than was actually allocated under the compact. Our preliminary studies show that the potential for a compact call is somewhere in the 10 to 20 percent chance in the next uh, 10 to 20 years, and and that you know and and some ventures in life a 10 to 20 percent risk of failure is, is really not a big deal, and people would say, you know, it's worth doing or worth bearing that risk. Uh, but when you're talking about the, the uh, something as with consequences as severe as a compact call and, and what it would do to our economy, that 10 to 20 percent risk is too high. And so, um, that you know, and that 10 to 20 percent risk assumes that we are continuing 
our current water use within our state and within the upper basin. It assumes that the hydrology uh, that we've seen in the last 18 years continues to repeat itself. It, it, it makes a number of assumptions um, that are, we believe, you know, sustained by the by the evidence. But but nonetheless, it, 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 it you know, you look at that and say, you know, is is that risk uh, uh, worth you know doing something about? And, and we say, yeah, it absolutely is. We don't want to live with that kind of risk because it it provides a certain level of uncertainty to our communities and our our uh, folks who invest in our in our uh, livelihood here. And 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 I think that as a community, we need to we need to make sure that risk is reduced. And it's not only the upper basin that needs to be conserving water. The lower basin, too, needs to be doing its share. All of the drought contingency planning we're doing in the upper basin um, cannot save the Colorado River as a whole. We, we absolutely need the lower basin to conserve water and reduce their consumption. There are two drought contingency plans that are currently being worked on. One is in the lower basin between Arizona, California, and Nevada. And the other is in the upper basin between uh, Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, and Wyoming. Arizona has had a lot of internal disagreement uh, around their participation in the lower basin drought contingency plan. Currently, the most eye-catching or flamboyant disagreement down there happens to be between different interest groups in Arizona. Uh, but but there's not agreement throughout the, the other states is exactly how that drought contingency plan is going to work. And I, I think they've all been working on it. I know the Commissioner of Reclamation, Brenda Berman, has been pushing them very hard to come up with something uh, that, that actually works. And I would tell you it's really important. It's, it's vital that, that that drought contingency plan actually work and, and that they, they agree to it and that they implement it. And, and at, at full implementation, the drafts that they have released would indicate that they would be conserving on an annual basis somewhere around 1.1 million acre-feet of water that they would be leaving in Lake Powell. And and that's not just Arizona. That's the three lower basin states operating together. In the upper basin, what we're working on is a program to move water from upper federal reservoirs like Flaming Gorge, uh, Blue Mesa and Navajo down into Lake Powell to keep Lake Powell at um, sustainable levels, and also, if necessary, to implement a demand reduction program so that we have um, a basis to um, hopefully establish voluntary compensated and temporary means to essentially pay water users to um, not use as much water and allow that water to go into Lake Powell to keep the system uh, sustainable. So those are the elements that we're working on. The states are working very hard to try and put these packages together by the end of the year. Um, and then they would be approved, if they're developed and agreed to, they would be approved by the Arizona legislature uh, early next year and by uh, the U.S. Congress uh, early next year as well. And, and that that lower basin drought contingency plan uh, combined with the upper basin drought contingency plan we believe will result in in some workable options for the river but without that agreement um, i can tell you that the future is pretty bleak and so so you know and it's and it's not just bleak for the upper basin it's the, the lower basin has junior water rights such as the central arizona project 
which will be affected grievously if they don't find a way to cooperate and, and, and work under their drought contingency plan. If, if all seven basin states uh, agree and the Department of the Interior, which um, manages the federal reservoirs, if we're all able to reach agreement on a, on a broad drought contingency plan that includes a, an account in Lake Powell, um, it would be my hope that we have 14 U.S. senators that are on board to legisl federal legislation that would authorize and direct the Secretary of the Interior to implement these drought contingency plans. Um, I would be uh, shocked if that legislation didn't pass, and uh, with that kind of momentum behind it, and that's certainly what we're what we're hoping for is, is that kind of a consensus and that kind of a momentum um, toward that federal legislation. The Colorado River is increasingly changing due to climate change and population growth. It is up to us to adjust accordingly so that we may prosper into the future. Everybody who depends on the Colorado River needs to be aware of the situation that we are in today and the potential for uh, really significant, uh, significantly reduced flows in the future and what that might be. Um, I think we should plan on a smaller Colorado River. And, and, and it's, um, it's just a reality that we're looking at from uh, the impacts of climate change. And um, I, I think that that doesn't mean I think it, the, the important takeaway from my perspective is that doesn't mean that we have to um, cease economic development within states in the Colorado River system. It doesn't mean that we have to lock our doors and say no one's allowed to move here anymore. We're not building walls around the basin. Um, the, 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 the key is, is that we have to be smarter, we have to be adaptable, and we have to be resilient. Um, the kind of, for me, the the, the, where I see hope is, is in efforts um, uh, that across sector efforts like those that you see in Israel or uh, Australia, where those communities, those societies have found a way to continue to thrive uh, economically while reducing their use of water and consumption of water far beyond anything we do in the Colorado River Basin. And so I, I look to that and I see inspiration, and I, but I also understand that that means that our constituents in the River District, as well as citizens throughout the basin, are going to have to be willing to accept change. And, and we don't do that well as a society, and, and um, we have to uh, kind of open our eyes and realize that, that um, the world has always been a dynamic place. It's always changed. We, we've had a great period of stability um, you know, prior to this current uh, dry dry period or erodification, um, we've had some stability in the 19th and 20th centuries here in, in uh, the Colorado River Basin. We can, um, I think, continue to thrive, but we have to find ways to adapt to it. And really what that means is I think the best way forward is one through collaboration uh, among all water user groups among um, those who particularly uh, advocate for recreation and environment and uh, industry and urban water use as well as ag water use have to come together and, and, and really work together rather than being tied up in the court system, rather than being, um, you know, uh, constantly at, at odds with one another. I think we're all in it together, truly, and, and if we work and look at it that way, I think in the long run, uh, we'll do a lot better.
uh, we all share a common concern uh, about the implications of um, a, a compact call and what that means for all of us. So I think the significant thing is that um, we cannot prepare for this in isolation. And this is not a situation where one sector needs to, to try and take advantage of another sector. We're all in this together. So that means that urban communities, agricultural communities, upper basin, lower basin, western Colorado, eastern Colorado, um, the environment, we're all in this together. And we need to figure out um, common solutions so that uh, the entire system as a whole remains sustainable and we don't have um, the kind of legal conflict, uh, economic conflict, uh, and, and environmental disruption uh, if we, if everybody just tries to go it alone. So Denver uh, is, is particularly interested in working closely with um, other utilities in the basin, whether they be in the upper basin or the lower basin. We're, we're interested in working with Western Colorado and agricultural producers and the federal government to plan ahead. And if we run into um, conditions of significant shortage, that we have plans in place to um, mitigate the impacts, but also everybody understands upfront what's going to happen and we can manage the situation without having to be a crisis. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Are Rivers, conversations about the rivers that connect us. Please join us again for our next episode and rate and comment. This helps others discover our podcast series too, and we appreciate your support.